I'm going to try to make it quick so you can have more time at the end. Everybody say this with me. It's time to start. All right, so I'm going to try to leave a little bit of time at the end so you can go back to the connection tables or the uh, life group tables, and you can completely clean out the bake sale before second service gets a chance to even get a cupcake. <laughs> We're doing a series on discipleship. Everybody say it with me. It's time, it's time. To, start. to start. All right. We're doing a series on discipleship. Jesus told us to make disciples, right? Church oftentimes thinks we're making converts. We're not making converts, we're making disciples. You and I are born with a defect. We're born with a moral defect. Anybody ever had a toddler? Jesse's about to have a baby, <laughs> but she's had toddlers. There's something called the toddler's manifesto. And the it goes something like this. So imagine your grandchild or your child and they say something like this, if I want it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If we are building something together, all the pieces are, help me, mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If I think it's mine, it's mine. If I give it to you and I change my mind later, it's mine. And here's my favorite. Once it's mine, it will never belong to anyone else, no matter what. Anybody ever have a child, a little kid that does that? All of us are born with a fatal defect. We're born with something internal in us that's off. We're born with what the Bible would call internal corruption. It would call inherited sin. Sin makes us self-seeking at the core. So the evidence that we are separated, the evidence that we are sinful is the fact that we are selfish by nature. And everybody has a little baby and go, oh, that little baby's so cute, that little baby's so innocent. And then they get about a year and a half or two years old and they just start wrecking the house. Can I get a witness? Exactly. And you are like, you are the most selfish little creature I have ever experienced in my life hitting each other, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Sin is self-seeking at its core. Idolatry above all else is the worship of self. People go, well, I'm a good person. The Bible says we're internally corrupted. All of us are born internally corrupted. Just because we have internal corruption, it doesn't mean that we're not capable of doing good. So today we're gonna to talk about being born again. And the reason that we need to be born again is because we need to be given a new nature. And the only one who can give us a new nature is Jesus. Can I get a witness on that? Yes, Jesus. That's always a good witness. Jesus is always the right answer. We're self-seeking. The evidence that we are a fallen race is the fact that we are self-seeking. It's all about our feelings. It's all about our wants, our desires, our opinions. It's only when a person becomes born again and is given the Holy Spirit and has the Spirit of God in them that you actually even have the ability to be selfless. Even a person without Christ, when they're trying to do something selfless, they always have an ulterior motive attached to it. But in the Spirit, when you're in the Spirit, and you're feeling the love of God moving in you, the love of God that's imparted us to us as Christians through faith in Christ, you feel the love of God. You can love people, you can give people, you can be generous to people, and you want nothing in return, right? And then when you come out of the Spirit, you're like, what did I do? I just gave away 100 bucks to somebody. But when you're in the Spirit, you're like, here, take it. Take it, have it all. Yes, have it all. <laughs> the evidence of our sin is our internal corruption. Internally corrupted. That's our problem. We have an, and no ability to change our internal corruption. John chapter 3, verse 3. There's a man named Nicodemus. So the Bible says this. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jewish people. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said, Rabbi, that is teacher, talking to Jesus, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do what you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you must be born again. Unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Which is born of flesh is flesh, that's what's born of spirit is spirit. He tells, he, tells, he tells Nicodemus twice in 
about three verses that he must be born again. You must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God, and you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus shows up. He comes to Jesus by night because he didn't want anybody to see him. And people give Nicodemus a bad rap because he was kind of like this kind of stealth, kind of closet guy that was seeking God. And everybody goes, well, Nicodemus came by night because he didn't want anybody to see him. Well, I would argue Nicodemus came to Jesus. A lot of people don't come to Jesus. At least Nicodemus made the effort. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he's saying, listen, there's just some amazing things happening with you. And we just, he just starts sharing all these accolades. He wants to talk to Jesus about what he's doing. And Jesus wants to talk to, him, talk to Nicodemus about his condition. He says, you cannot see the kingdom of God without being born again. You cannot enter the kingdom of God without being born again. That's why the things of the Spirit are foolishness. The Bible says the gospel itself is foolishness to the unbeliever. They can't even see and understand what this is all about. Spiritual things are oftentimes foolishness to people who are not born again because you can't even perceive the things of God because you're not born again. You can't even see or even begin to have a perception for the, for the kingdom without being born again. You cannot enter the kingdom of God, which is to become a part of it. Jesus came to summon us from our condition, call us to be born again, restore us into our right relationship and position with the Father, and call us into his kingdom. Nicodemus, his name is Nicodemus. So his name was probably Demas. Nico is a title. Nico means ruler. Demas means agreeable. That's where we get the word democratic from. So he was an agreeable person who was a, who was a ruler of the Jews, Nicodemus. Under the Jewish system, the elites of their society were not doctors and lawyers. They were theologians, spiritual teachers. So in the Jewish culture, they did not esteem someone as sort of the cultural influencer or the cultural elite like we do. We esteem entrepreneurs, we esteem doctors, we esteem lawyers, we esteem you know, different people in different stratas of our culture, and we say those are the higher achieving people. In their culture, in the Jewish system, that didn't matter at all. They weren't schooling you in math and science from the time you were a kid. In the Jewish culture, they were schooling you in the Word of God from the time you were a kid. And so it was called, it was created as, a, it was a caste system, so it was a created where there were sects of different leaders within this system, and Nicodemus was a Pharisee. You guys want to know what a Pharisee is? I know I tell you this all the time, it's important. See, when I became a Christian, right, I'd come to this church and the pastor would be saying all this stuff, and he'd be firing it at me like a machine gun. It took me a while to understand, and I thought, man, somebody needs to come up with a Bible dictionary that actually, or a, uh, some, some kind of reference so that we can understand these things. There were basically three different sects. So God, let me just give you the Jewish system to begin with. So God takes a guy named Abraham, and out of this guy named Abraham, Abraham had faith towards God when nobody else did. So God chose Abraham, and from Abraham, he created a family. From that family, he created a nation called the Jewish people. They're actually called the Hebrew people. And so he created the Hebrew people. And the Hebrew people, he made a covenant with them. And the covenant was essentially twofold. So God made a covenant with the Hebrew people, and the requirements of the covenant was not just that they would worship him and that he would be their God and they would be his people, but their covenant mandate required that they faithfully keep the word of God, that they preserve the word of God. That was number one. And then number two, that they successfully maintain a bloodline. They successfully maintain a pure ancestry. The reason that God told them to maintain the word of God and the reason that God told them to maintain the bloodline was because Jesus was going to come forth into the world from the Hebrew people. And when Jesus came forth into the world, there was going to be 2,000 years of testimony through the word of God that said, this is the one. There was going to be a pure bloodline that went through Abraham and went through David, just like the word of God said, and Jesus was going to be born of the line of David and of the line of Abraham. And so God told them, this is what I want you to do. God's chosen people. Anybody ever heard that one? Anybody ask the question, chosen for what? Well, because they're special. No, they were chosen for a purpose. And the purpose of the Jewish people was to preserve the word of God, preserve the bloodline, and to reveal the Messiah to all nations. Well, they kept two out of the three. And as Meatloaf says, two out of three ain't bad. But, you know, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't do very well with revealing the Messiah. They kind of fell off the wagon on that one. In the beginning, there were a lot of most of the early church and most of the early Christians were Jews. But the religious leaders didn't quite get around it. 
They didn't buy into it. Only one guy did, Paul, and he set the world on fire. Nicodemus was a Pharisee just like Paul. If you know your Bible, Paul is the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the letters of the New Testament. He was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were devout keepers of the Word of God. Say this with me. The Pharisees were the rule keepers of the Word of God. That's very fair. Say it with me. That's very fair, you see. So when you think of a Pharisee, they're very fair. They're very rule keepers. They were the ones who kept the law. Then there's another group. There's essentially three groups of people in the Bible. One is not spoken of almost at all. It's not even mentioned in the scriptures to I know, that I know of. It's spoken only through history, and that's called the Essenes. So essentially there were three groups of religious groups within the, the Jewish society. Well, there's four, but they don't count because they weren't. All right, I'll give you the whole story. So I'm, now, I'm, I'm, I'm having an internal debate with myself. Well, technically, Kevin, there's four. Okay, there's four. So you have the Pharisees, you have the Sadducees, you have the Herodians, and you have the Essenes. So the Herodians are mentioned in the Bible. The Herodians were Jews by birth, but they had renounced their faith and fully embraced the culture that was not their own. They were Herodians. They had fully embraced the Greek lifestyle, the cultural lifestyle, everything. So they were Jews only in birth. Then you have the Pharisees. These were the ones who were strict and devout keepers of the rules, keepers of the law. They were the ones telling Jesus, don't wash, why don't you wash your hands the right way? Why are you eating food on, like, on the Sabbath? Why are you healing on the Sabbath? Because to them, in their mind, Jesus wasn't keeping the rules. He was breaking all the rules. And Jesus would tell them, the, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not created for man. Uh, uh, the Sab man was not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man. And the Son of Man, this one, I'm the Lord of it all. So whatever I say goes. If I want to break the rule, I'm allowed because I made the rule. Okay? But they were always freaking out at Jesus because he didn't keep the rules as they wanted him to keep them. Then there's another group of leaders called Sadducees. They did not believe in eternal life. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And I want you to say this with me. That's very sad, you see. So it's very sad because they lived only for this world. They were Jews by birth. They were religious keepers of the law. They were very cultural in their mindset, but they didn't believe in the afterlife. And Jesus called them hypocrites. One of the reasons he called them hypocrites was because they said, there was a man who had a wife and he died. And then she married his brother and it went up to seven brothers. Who's she going to be married to in the afterlife? And Jesus said, you are ignorant of the word of God and of his power. Because, number one, they were hypocrites because they didn't even believe in the afterlife, yet they're questioning him about the afterlife. Total hypocrisy. And coming to Jesus with total ignorance of the word of God and total ignorance of his power. God expects his pastors and his leaders to not be ignorant of the word of God, and he expects his pastors and his leaders to not be ignorant of the power of God. There is an expectation on the leaders of his church people. He says Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus is going to ask him some questions. Jesus explains the answer, and he looks at Nicodemus and says, Are you a teacher of Israel, and you don't know this? Jesus looks at him about falls out of his chair. He's like, you cannot tell me you're teaching my people and you don't understand this. There's an expectation that when you stand before the people of God that you actually know what you're talking about. And you're not reading from a book. It's something that you're not, it's not something that you do. It's something that you live. God has an expectation on his leaders. Because what the reason is, is because what I teach you is what will be produced in your life. And if I am teaching you vanity and emptiness and foolishness, then vanity and emptiness and foolishness is what will be produced. Everything produces after its own kind, Genesis says. And so God's saying, you're teaching and you don't know this? you got to be kidding me. He told the Pharisees over and over again, these are guys who read the word of God by day and by night. And he would say things like this. Go and find out what this means. That's, that's a direct insult to them. Because that's all they did was said. Then he would look at them and he would say, Have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? Don't you know the word? you got to realize, this is what these guys did 24-7. They read the word of God every day, all day. And yet they were woefully ignorant of its concepts, and they were woefully ignorant of the power of God that was related to it. They understood the letter of the law, but they did not understand the heart of the law. 
And so Jesus looks at Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. He didn't say, it'd be a good idea if you were born again. It's a suggestion. You should think about being born again. He says, you must be born again. If you, do not, if you are not born again, you are lost. He says, you must be born of the spirit and born of the water. You're not born again of the intellect, Christian. You're not born of the intellect. Where's Dave? See here? He's around here somewhere. Okay, Dave Pavone's here, right? He always likes to tell a story. Dave is a guy you like to hang out with Christians, right? Dave got born again at the Lost and Found Saloon. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Dave was a guy who liked to hang around with Christians, but he himself was not professing to be a Christian. And so I had some well-meaning friends. He wasn't coming to this church at the time, and they bring him to me, and they're like, you got to talk to this guy, Dave. you got to talk to him. I'm like, why? All he does is hang out with Christians, but he doesn't want to confess Christ. We, we just need somebody to come and just put the authority on him. And so I'm like, all right, I'll meet with him. And so I take him to the Lost and Found Saloon. A friend of ours had a cafe called Lost and Found. And I sit down with him. I said, what's your issue? And he said, it's all like fairy tales to me. He's like, I, I, can't, I can't understand this. I don't understand, he, I don't understand why, you know, he's, why these things are the way they are, why God says what he says he does. And I said, well, you're not, you don't come to faith through understanding. You come to faith through, you come to faith through believing. And so he's like, you mean I can, get, I can become a Christian? without understanding everything? And I was like, absolutely. He just told Nicodemus, you're not going to understand it until you're born again. Jesus, the only thing Jesus gives the unbeliever the inability to understand is that they are lost. That's the only thing they're given to understand. You're lost and you need to be saved, period. And that revelation is given to them clearly when the gospel is taught to them. They don't understand how God made the world. They don't understand Noah's Ark. They don't understand how Jesus was born of a virgin. They don't understand how Christ was raised from the dead. They don't understand any of that. And, they, and it's not given to them to understand. So when you're trying to reason with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, you're trying to reason with them in a way that they have no capacity to understand. And so I told him, I said, I said what, when, I, when I ask you if Jesus Christ is Lord, I go, what does your heart tell you? He said, I believe that's true. And I, he said, but my mind can't understand it. I said, so put your brain in neutral and embrace it with your heart. The Bible says if you believe where? With your heart. It's not intellectually convinced. You don't have to be intellectually convinced of anything. People go, what? Why do you believe Jesus is Christ? I, you know, the, the greatest answer the Christian can give is saying, I don't know, but Jesus lives in me. That's all I know. That's the evidence and the testimony of the transformation of the power of God. You, you, may not have the, you may not be able to articulate every up and down, left and right of, of the gospel, but what you can receive is you can receive the evidence of faith with the Spirit of God coming into you, and you're born again. And, Jesus, and Dave became born again. Dave gave his life to Christ. And the two friends were sitting there like looking at me like, I can't believe this. We've been trying to minister to this guy for two years. You meet with him for two hours, and he comes to Jesus. I go, it's not that hard, people. It's not that hard. You're trying to beat the guy on the head. You're trying to get him to understand concepts he has no ability to understand. Just tell him you're lost. You can't save you. Jesus is the only one who can save you. Your heart's already telling you that's true. Your head's the one that's the problem, so shut your head off and go with your heart. Open your heart. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and give your life away. And everything else is going to come forth from there. So Jesus says you must be born of the Spirit. We're not born of the intellect. God bypasses the mind and he goes right to the spirit. It's not that the intellect isn't important, but the intellect is designed to be a servant of the spirit. In our culture, in the American culture, we worship the intellect above all things. We say, I'll believe it when I see it. God says, until you believe it, you'll never see it. My ways are not your ways, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. He's a paradoxical God. The wisdom of God is greater than the strength of, the, the weakness of God is greater than the strength of man, and the foolishness of God is greater than all of man's wisdom combined. I'll believe it when I see it. Doesn't make intellectual and rational sense to me. Of course not. God intentionally makes the gospel foolishness. He does it on purpose. It's foolishness. He knows it. Come be a fool. He invites the fools to come because he wants you to deny all that you are and embrace all that he is. Because it's not about you. It's not about your intellect. Intellect is important, but your intellect must serve the spirit. If your intellect doesn't serve the spirit, you're out of order. Spirit first, intellect second. What would happen if you put your intellect in subjection to the spirit and God began to give you revelation through your intellect? Oh, my gosh. Some of you are very smart people. PhDs, MBAs, ABCs, one, two, threes, you got it all. 
I was just in a woman's office. She must have had, how many degrees did that woman have on her wall? I mean, she must have had 12. I was like, did you do anything but go to school? I mean, it's like, I mean, you know, we got all the degrees that we want. What would happen if you took your intellect and began to seek God in the spirit and let God open up the wisdom of your mind and let God open up the intellect, the intellect of your mind and your, your intellect, your wisdom was born of the spirit and not born of, the, of, of human origin. So you've got to be born of the water and you've got to be born of the spirit. The water is a reference to baptism. This is true. So we must be born again, right? Born again of the spirit's what saves you. Water baptism doesn't save you, but it's a command. So this is not just a reference to water. It's also a reference to a promise that God made in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 33, 80 says, I will cleanse you. There's the water. So what happens is when you come to Jesus, God beckons us to himself like a father. He doesn't want anything in between his people, his creation. He wants us to return to him. So when he pardons us or he, he allows us to come to us, and when we come to him, he forgives us. That's the first thing he does. So when you come to Jesus, the first thing he does is he forgives you. He removes the barrier that's between you and him. Aren't you glad? He removes the offense. That's what the Bible calls that sin, is the offense. You can't remove the offense. He does it for you. You offended him, yet he forgives you, if you're willing. So you come to him, he forgives you, because he wants the relationship restored, right? Anybody who's married, you understand exactly what happens. You get in an argument with your wife, and you don't know how to fix it. Can I get a witness? Is there anybody here? And is this just me? Yeah, okay, thank you, Mickey. We got one honest guy in the room. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, somebody's got to be the humble one. Somebody's got to take the bullet, or this thing isn't going to get restored. It's true. Thank you. Now I got you. So it's Jesus took the bullet. Jesus took the cross because there's no way this relationship's going to be restored. So he does it for us. He comes to, we come to him and he forgives us. He removes the offense, the barrier. Not only does it, now we can come to him. And as we're, now we're forgiven and he cleanses us. He does three things. He forgives, he cleanses us. How? Internally. Because we're internally corrupted. We're not corrupted on the outside. We're internally corrupted. That's the problem. And so we were forgiven and Jesus doesn't leave us at forgiveness. He cleanses us on the inside and he makes you pure internally. Pure. Pure heart. Clean hands and a pure heart. That's why when you come before the Lord and you begin to worship him, you feel clean. You feel pure. You don't always feel clean and pure in the world, do you? Monday morning, you're not feeling clean and pure. But you're in the presence of Jesus. You feel clean and pure because you are. You are all, and from that point forward, you must never believe a lie that you're not acceptable to God. Who told you that? Who told you? Christian, that just because you did something stupid that God doesn't love you anymore. Who told you that? It's an absolute lie. When you come to Jesus and you're born again and born of his spirit, nothing can separate you from the love of God. It doesn't mean he approves of your behavior, but he doesn't retract his love from you. And he doesn't retract the identity all over you as a son and a daughter. Jeremiah 33, 8, I'll cleanse all the iniquity and I'll remove the sin that they have done against me. I will pardon them and, from which, and I will for, remove the transgression. Ezekiel says the same thing. I'm going to sprinkle clean water again. So Jesus says, born of the spirit and born of the water, receiving the internal cleansing. Not just asking Christ into the heart, but letting the Holy Spirit come into you and give you that internal cleansing. That's why born again is an experience. To be born again is an experience. If you can't remember when you were born again, you're probably not born again. And, you, and we're going to give you a great chance today. It's a simple thing. What does it mean? When you're born again, something changes. Jesus comes into your heart and something changes. Not everything gets perfect, but there's something about you that's different than it was before. You're not cussing. Can I get a witness? Some people, that's the last thing. I had a, we had one, one a friend of ours, she was a born-again believer, and she didn't think there was anything wrong with cussing she, when she was young in the faith, you know, so to speak. She'd be like, what? What's wrong with that? But she believed other things. She, she changed in other ways. With me, I used to speak profanity. I just shared my testimony. I shared my story. I spoke two languages. I spoke English and profanity. Yeah. And when I came to Christ, I wasn't cussing anymore. And that freaked me out. That freaked me out. I was like, what? 
I had one girl tell me I can forgive. I said, did you have a problem forgiving? She said, yeah. I had another guy tell me. I said, what's different? They come to me and they go, Pastor, we prayed, but I don't know. Is there anything different? I don't know what's I go, I always ask them, what's different? One guy said, all I saw was concrete and heat. He said, I was a very violent person. I was a very pessimistic person. And I said, do you see concrete and heat anymore? He said, I see flowers. I see trees. I hear birds singing. I'm like, that's different, isn't it? You're born again. It's the beginning of a new life. You understand that? It's a born-again experience. Christians must be born again. In churches, we don't preach the gospel according to being born again. It's not intellectual. It's internally converted. Converted on the inside. Not convinced in your mind. Born again. Life of God coming back into you. He forgives. What does he forgive? He forgives the sin and the sins. Ancestral iniquity through Adam. All of us are descendants of Adam. I don't know if you know that. There's only one race in the Bible, and it's called the human race. Our diversity is called, the Bible refers to it not in terms of race, it, recur, it re uses a word called ethnos, and it means different. Red, yellow, black, white, green, and blue, you know, we're just different. Short, tall, some have hair, some don't, okay? I'm kind of in between those two worlds right now, I'm not really sure. <laughs> we're different. We're one race. All descendants of Adam. Adam is our ancestor. All of us are descendants of him. And Adam sinned. Say this with me. When the Bible uses the word iniquity, it is referring to sins in the bloodline. We carry the iniquities of our ancestors. Sins in the bloodline. So when we all are descendants of Adam, therefore we carry the iniquity of Adam and all of your forebearers prior to that up until the time when you received Jesus. And so we carry with us the iniquity of Adam. Issues in the bloodline. David said, I was conceived, I was formed in my mother's womb with iniquity, and I was born through sin. I shared this with you last week. That doesn't mean that childbirth is a sin. What David is saying even when I was formed in my mother's womb, I was being formed and I carried with me all of the iniquity. And then when I was born, I was born into my own sin. Can I get a witness? Man is not inherently good. We're internally corrupted. Jesus said there's only one good and it's God. That's it. In Christ, we become forgiven. In Christ, we're made new. In Christ, we're repositioned. In Christ, we're made alive. You, when you become born again, you hear me preach this all the time, you're a son and daughter of the highest. Jesus doesn't need you groveling on the floor. Oh, I'm such a beggar. I'm such a loser. Oh, thank you, God, for saving me. Oh, I'm always in the fear and trembling before the Lord. You're a son and daughter now. Take your rightful place. You're on your feet. God does not take away from you your title. You are now born again. You're adopted into the family of God. You're repositioned, re re reformed, regenerated, and you're positioned before God as a son and daughter. We put this in parental terms. Anybody here with children? When you take your child to the store and they roll on the floor, Mommy, please! Oh, Mommy, please! You have no honor in a child that lies on the floor and grovels, do you? You don't go to the microphone at the grocery store and go, Can I have it? Would everybody come and see my child on aisle two? Aisle two, come and see the child of the century. That is my child. We have no glory in a groveling, sniveling child as a parent. We have a glory in a child that stands on their feet, presents themselves well, knows who they are. That's our glory. Our Heavenly Father is no different. God has no glory in people sniveling. Oh, we're just sinners. Oh, we're going to weep at the altar. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. No glory. Stand on your feet. Take your rightful place. Say, we got to intercede, Pastor, with weeping and fasting and trembling. That's the Old Testament. Now we're sons and daughters with authority, and we declare. We speak on earth as it is in heaven. We're not begging God. The, the blood has been shed. The veil has been torn. The spirit has been given. We have power now. The Old Testament, they didn't have power. They had to call for something that they didn't have. The church is already endued with power. We have power. We need to use the power that we're given in the spirit. Sin caused an alliance with the devil. What? Totally true. Sin made us alienated from the life of God, eternally corrupt and eternally condemned. 
That's a bad situation. People go, I'm not in alliance with the devil. You sure are. If you don't know Jesus, you are bound to his kingdom. There is no gray matter in this world. You either belong to Christ and his kingdom, or you belong to the devil and his kingdom. They're not equal. The kingdom of God is far greater. The kingdom of darkness will be done away with, and when God does away with the kingdom of darkness, it will come. Those who are bound to that kingdom will go with that kingdom, and they'll go unto damnation. Not a popular thing in the American church. We don't even use the word hell. Don't say the word hell, pastor. Don't use the word sin. Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. And why do you think the Son of God spoke more about hell than anybody else who preceded him? Because he knows it's real. This isn't a game. This isn't a joke. This isn't hell on earth. This is an eternal Gehenna in which men will burn in fire for rejecting the Son of God. That is a reality. That is the inconvenient truth. The climate's not the inconvenient truth. Hell is the inconvenient truth. Jesus is our Savior, Christian. It's how we get born again. The church has lost its passion for the lost. We, we've lost our drive to win our neighbors and our friends and our family members. Somehow we've forgotten all of this. We like, 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 I don't even know, ostriches. We stick our head in the sand pretending it doesn't exist. It exists. It exists. You who are dead in transgressions and sin, which you use when you follow the ways of the world, under the ruler of the kingdom of the, under the king, under the prince of power of the air. So Paul is telling this church in the book of Ephesians, you've been made alive and you've been taken away from the kingdom of darkness through Christ. But before that, you were under the authority of the prince and the power of the air. Man without Christ is under the authority of the devil, period. He doesn't need to do anything to you. He can leave you alone. You can live your selfish existence. He's not going to come up as the boogeyman. He's not even going to ask you to worship him because you're no, he, you already belong to him. He has, he has no interest in you. But people go, I, I don't believe in the devil. I don't believe I belong to the devil. Yeah, when you pass through the veil of time and space and into eternity, you're going to believe it then. I can assure you, if you die without Jesus, man must be born again. That is an emphatic imperative in the Greek. That means it's structured as a command. Paul, Jesus is looking at Nicodemus, and he says, the command is to be born again. It's not a suggestion. He cleanses us of what? Of the internal corruption, the shallowness, the shame, and the fear. When you come to Jesus, there should be no fear of God anymore, believer. There should be no fear of God. Why? Because there is no fear in love. What does perfect love do? Perfect love casts out fear. And when you come to Christ, the Bible says you're accepted in the beloved. You are now perfectly loved. You don't know what I did last night. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Admit it and quit it. Confess your sin. Jesus is faithful and just to cleanse you and to, and to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I'm going to give you another little run through theology here. You want a little more theology? No? Two of you? You like you? Okay. <laughs> See, protein is what gives you muscles, right? If we give the church Snickers bars, we got a bunch of sugar freaks running around that are anemic and all kinds of internal problems because when we give steak and eggs, we build muscles into the church, into the body. You don't even know. You're just like, wow, I just start feeling strong. I don't even know what this stuff is. It's like, like a B12 shot or something. I don't even know. Say this with me. This is important. When the Bible speaks of sin... It speaks of two things. Say the word with me. Haramatia, haramatano. Two types of sin. Two types of sin. One is the sin of condemnation. The second is the sin that misses the mark. When Jesus forgives us, he forgives us of the sin of condemnation. You're no longer condemned. That's the haramatia is the offense. That's the sin that separates us from God. Man pushed God away. And said, I don't want to be God. I want to be like you. I don't need you. I'm my own God. Or I'll make a God in my own image. I'll make a God up as I want him to be. I don't need you. He pushed God away, offended God, Haramatia, and separated himself. When Christ died, rose, he gave us an opportunity to return. This is the whole idea. So if you get the concept of how this works, man pushed God away, separated himself. Jesus comes. Jesus uses the word repent. In the Hebrew, it's the word teshuva, and it means return. So Jesus says, I'm here. Come back to me. 
Teshuva, repent, return to me. That's what he says, right? So man is separated, and now we must come back. You understand? We declared ourselves God, and now we must declare him what? God. Jesus is, starts with an L, Lord. That's the whole point of being born again. I'm not Lord, he is. It's not Jesus loves me, I just accept your love and your forgiveness. No, being born again is, a, is the outright declaration that I'm not God, you are. Being born again is my life no longer belongs to me. I give you my life and I receive your life in return. That's what it means. It's not accepting Jesus as your buddy and the big man upstairs. I don't know who's, where, where we get this stuff from, but we don't get it from the Bible. So Christ comes and he heals us of the Haramatia. How many in here is born again? Come on, can I get a witness? That's good, that's good, all right? So even though you're born again, you still sin. Can I get a witness? That's right, thank you. Yes, exactly. We're Christians, we're truth people. We should tell the truth on all this stuff, right? That's the word Haramatano. So even as a Christian, I'm born again, there's no offense between me and God. The sins that I do now do not separate me from my relationship with him. They separate me from my destiny in him. That's the difference. That's why all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. You can move in with your girlfriend if you want to. You're still born again. I would challenge you on your discipleship. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. But what it means is that God's not in that. He's not going to bless that. That's outside of the destiny that he has created. So you make decisions as a believer that don't condemn you, but you make decisions as a believer that move you off of destiny. It's the word harmatia. It's where we get the word miss the mark from. The church preaches the, preaches the, the, the sin of missing the mark. Well, it's not about missing the mark. It's about the offense. Jesus isn't dealing with the missing of the mark. That's a discipleship issue. Jesus is dealing with the separation. That's the offense. That's what the Bible's teaching us. So in Christ, you're forgiven. Your sins do not disqualify you as a son or a daughter. Do you understand this? Your identity is not removed. The love of God is not removed. When you come to Jesus, you are loved, you are identified, you are blessed. Now the choices that you make determine whether or not you're going to move in the path of destiny or if you're going to move away from your destiny. And that's one of the things the Holy Spirit's doing in the life of the believer. He's always trying to get you back on track. <laughs> Stop doing that, Kevin. Stop doing that. Get back over here. He's always working in us to working in us for our highest good. He's even working out your mistakes. I tell Christians the only way you lose is if you quit. You can't lose. Say with me, I cannot lose unless I quit. Even your mistakes, even your failures, the things that you do and the, people that peop the things that people do to you cannot stop you. God says, I work all things out to the good of those that love me and are called according to my purpose. Even the tragedies that you experience, the Lord will work them out to your good if you let him. Even the mistakes that you make, God will reconcile the mistakes. He'll restore the things that are broken. He'll bring everything back into order if you'll look to him and if you'll let him. I want you to say this with me. Everyone say this with me. So when you screw up, I want you to say this. Just like a little kid, I want you to say, Daddy, Daddy. fix it. Fix it. That's right. Any dads in the room? <laughs> exactly. How many times has the kid come up and just completely destroyed something? Daddy, fix it. Breaking things and... We pretend like, oh, give it to me. Leave it with me for a day. I'll fix it. Then I go out and buy him a new one. Here, I fixed it. Look, I fixed it. <laughs> Dad, you're great. You're a genius. Your father will fix it. He gives you a new heart, a new nature, empowered by the Spirit. When you're born again, you want to follow the Lord. You're born again, and you're regenerated. Say this with me. Regenerated. regenerated. You're given a new generation. Aren't you glad? This is another concept the Christian has to grasp. You are not born of the blood of the earth any longer, Christian. When you receive Jesus Christ, you are not born of the earth. You're born of heaven. You're not born of an earthly bloodline. You're born of an eternal bloodline. You're royalty. You're born of the line of a king. Aren't you glad? You always wanted to be a royal. Well, good news. Jesus has given it away. He's given away title. Sons and daughters of the highest. Second Peter says you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why? So that you may proclaim his praises. The one who what? Called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You once were nobody. Right? Can I get a witness? Right? 
At one time, you were nobody. In Christ, did you know you were somebody? You were somebody. <laughs> you are now the people of God. You're the sons and daughters of God. We're sons and daughters. Divine royalty. I don't look like it. It doesn't matter. You are. I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter. In Christ, you are. Born by the blood of Jesus. An impartation of the life of God. Internally purified. Made brand new. So Jesus, we come to Christ, he forgives us, he removes the offense, restores the relationship, he gives us clean spirit, we have an ability to, have to be cleansed internally, but he doesn't leave us there. So he deals with the offense, he deals with the internal corruption, and he makes us brand new. As if all he had to do was forgive us, and that would have been enough. He could have left us internally corrupted, he could have left the old broken down portion that we are, but he's so good, Jesus is the God of the overflow. He forgives you, he cleanses you, and that's not enough. He cleanses you, he says, okay, all this is dealt with, now I want to make you new. Brand new. The Bible says if you're an, anybody who's in Christ is a new what? Creation. creation. Yeah, creature, creation, exactly. Old things have passed away. And the Bible uses this word, behold. In other words, be amazed and be astounded. All things are new. You are someone who never existed before. Heaven does not see you in light of the old person. It sees you in light of the new creation. That's why when you talk to God, when you, you hear me teach this, when you talk to God in relationship to your past, he doesn't know what you're talking about. He sees you in light of who he has made you. When you speak to God and you act and you stand before him and you start talking to him like you're a victim, he doesn't know you. Jesus does not recognize his sons and daughters as victims. He recognizes us as victors. So when you're in pity party and rolling on the floor, and, oh, God, me, blah, 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 he's like, who are you? Who are you? He doesn't recognize you as a victim. Victim prayers are never answered. Write that down. Victim prayers are never answered. Victor prayers are. When you get sick and tired of being sick and tired and you take your rightful place as a son and daughter and you begin to call out what's rightfully yours and you begin to lay hold of your inheritance and you begin to speak life, you begin to call what is not as though it were, you're going to see things change. Now you're operating as a son and a daughter of the highest. Now you're operating with the kingdom authority that's been given to you, and you're speaking life, and you're declaring, and you're not settling for it, and you're not asking God to do something for you that he's already done for you. Oh, God, would you please? Would you please? Would you please? You need wisdom? Father, I receive my divine right of inheritance in the name of Jesus. Your word says that all things that pertain to life and godliness are mine in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. By the power of the Spirit, I receive it now. I receive wisdom. I receive wisdom in my circumstances. The strength of God, I receive, Lord, what is rightfully mine in the Spirit. Oh, God, please strengthen me. I'm so weak. I receive what is rightfully mine in the name of Jesus. I command the strength of God into my body right now. Try that out. Tell me that doesn't work. Big difference. Big difference. You go from like victim to victor. And all of a sudden when you begin to say that, you'll feel the power of God move into you because it's yours by right of inheritance. Jesus paid with his blood for you to have it. And as soon as you claim it, it comes your way. Name it and claim it. Name it and claim it. Okay, I'll give you one off name it and claim it. You want me to do name it and claim it? I don't teach as the old boy prosperity preachers teach. But prosperity is in the gospel. Deuteronomy 8.18, the Lord your God has given you the ability to obtain wealth to establish a covenant in the land. What you need to ask God is, what's my ability to obtain wealth? What is it? Father, I just receive your wisdom, and I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to make known to me my ability to generate wealth, whether it's wealth of resources, whether it's wealth of compassion, whatever it is, you all have an ability to generate abundance in order that the covenant of God may come forth in the land, that the name of Jesus may be glorified. Have you ever asked him what that is? Have you ever allowed the Holy Spirit to give you revelation on that? There's a thought. Adam's the federal head. Jesus becomes the last Adam. So you're no longer born of the first Adam. You're born of the last Adam. That's why the Bible says the Holy Spirit is trying to make us like who? Who's the Holy Spirit trying to make us like? Like Jesus, right? We're being conformed into the image of Christ because Jesus is the divine prototype of the new creation. Adam was the original prototype. He completely screwed it up. And so everything that's created after Adam is screwed up just like Adam's created. It's like Adam was. Now Jesus is the new Adam. He's the last Adam. He's the divine prototype of the new creation. So the Holy Spirit is doing is bringing us into the conformity to the image of Christ because he is the perfect model.
He became as us that we might become like him. Born not of Adam, but born of the last Adam. Born not of earthly line, a corruptible seed, the Bible says, but we are born of incorruptible seed. Romans says sin entered the world through Adam. And because of sin, death came to us all. And in this way, death comes to all people because we're all sinners. <laughs> we're born sinners and we commit sin. So just as, just as sin came in through one man, now righteousness comes in. God circumvented the whole system. Man was hopeless and helpless. The devil thought he won. He thought he had eternally separated man from God. But God became like us. He didn't see that one coming. He said, I'm going to make a new prototype. And I'm going to form myself as the offering. I'm going to form myself as they are. And I'm going to give myself in their place. I'm going to pay with my blood for the iniquity of the old blood. And my blood is pure. So that debt is paid. And now the opportunity to be made new is available. Not through the blood of Adam, but through the blood of Jesus. From man, man, one man he made all the nations. That's, we're all one race. The first Adam became a living being, but the last Adam, that's Jesus, is a life-giving spirit. That's by his power, through his spirit, we get life. We get forgiveness. Most people don't know what's wrong with them. Self-help, right? What's wrong with you is you're born lost. That's what's wrong with you. That solves all the questions for me, okay? I'm born broken. That's why it solves all the questions why people do stupid things, because they're sinners and they're born broken, and they're internally corrupted. It's why Christians do stupid things, because they're not operating in the nature of the spirit. They're operating in their former nature, their carnal nature. It's why Christians can be some of the most hurtful people on the planet. And we do it all in the name of Jesus. Well, I'm just speaking the truth in love, brother. Are you? Because <laughs> I'm not really feeling the love right now. <laughs> you can be a believer and still operate according to the carnal nature. The difference with the Christian and the non-Christian is you have a choice to live which life you want to live. The, the non-Christian doesn't have access to the Holy Spirit. They live as they are, carnal, self-seeking, looking for their own, always trying to get what they want, use what they have for themselves, use you, consumers. That's the old nature. The believer has access to a new nature. That's why the Bible says walk in the spirit, because you have a choice. You have a decision to be a carnal, a carnal Christian, still loved of God, but you're still making carnal choices, selfish choices, foolish choices. Or you have a choice to get into the spirit and let the life of God move through you from the position that you have access to in the Holy Spirit. It's real evident. We're a spirit-filled church. We make no bones about that. We're a high-teaching, spirit-filled church. We believe in the power of God that's present and active today. Not yesterday, right now. When you get in the spirit, you, there is, you are not selfish at all. Just get in the spirit. Begin to, Holy Spirit, come. And let his spirit begin to move over you. Let him just begin to bathe in him. Let his power begin to fill you. Let his love begin to fill you. Let it permeate you. And then begin to go forth from there and tell me if you're selfish. You're not selfish. You're incredibly generous. It's amazing. You get in the spirit and you're just forgiving everybody. Then you get out of the spirit and you're like, ooh, don't even mention that name around me. You with me? Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one that knows anything about this? Come on, you know this for a fact because you experience it. And what you need to know is the real you is in the spirit. The old you is not in the spirit. You're born again, but you can still be the old you. Lots of Christians doing stupid things because they're operating according to the old nature. Doesn't mean they're not Christians. It just means they're operating according to the old nature. And that's why the scripture over and over again compels us to get in the spirit. Because that's where our life flows. Our life flows from the Spirit. Galatians, one of my favorite verses. I have a lot of them. This is one of my favorite. Paul speaks to a church, Spirit-filled church. Now they become high doctrine, just doctrine. All doctrine, intellect. Intellect, keep the Spirit out of here. We don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Don't use sin, hell, anything like that. We're intellectuals here. They had begun a born-again church, Spirit-filled church, and they became intellectuals. And Paul said, you're fools. Having begun in the Spirit... Do you actually think that you can fulfill this in the flesh? Christianity is spirit-filled. Christianity is life-giving by the power of the Spirit. Jesus said, it's to your benefit that I go, for the Holy Spirit will come. Holy Spirit's not someone that stands in the corner. I just heard a, a, this teaching the other day, and my, my wife it was just driving me nuts. And she's like, calm down, Kevin. I'm like, I know. I care about the church. I'm pro-church. Why do I care about the church? Because it's the only thing in time and space Jesus is building. 
Jesus isn't doing anything in time and space except building his church. And there's no other thing that he mentions that he's building. And if you're a part of his church, then he's building you. But his, the only thing, upon this rock I will build, that's the only time he says he's building and actively doing anything, personally. And so God is building his church because we are the community of God on earth, and we are called to bring the kingdom of God to the world through the church, individually and corporately. So I care about the church because Jesus cares about the church. And this person's like, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to try to not sound like a nerd when I say it. I will. The Holy Spirit is that little voice upon the conscience that tells you what's right and what's wrong. Like, clean your room and don't take that parking space from somebody. I mean, that's literally what this is what's being taught on a Sunday morning. I'm like, you have got to be freaking kidding me. Like, I wanted to send an email. I'm going to go, that's the best you got? You might want to go wash cars for a season or something, dude. But, like... Are you, you, you're preaching the glorious gospel, and that's all you can bring? That's the best you can. The Holy Spirit is a little voice upon the conscience. He's more, way more than a little voice upon the conscience. Way more. <laughs> we have new life in Christ, not a new religion. And Nicodemus didn't need religion. He had all the religion he wanted. Jesus didn't say, you're going to get a new religion. He said, you're going to get a new life. Jesus, say this with me. Jesus, Jesus. did not come to start a religion. He came to start a revolution, an uprising of love, of power, of peace, an uprising of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, a revolution, a transformational revolution. We have eternal life. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Say this with me. Not every human being is God's child. Only those who receive Christ are his children. To those who receive Jesus, they are the ones who are given the power to be the children of God. Everyone else is God's creation. Those who receive Christ, you're sons and daughters, and you have the life of God in you. That makes you incredibly exceptional in this world. That makes you incredibly rare in this world. And God's favor is with you. God's favors. I always tell the believer, believe God for a job. Jesus will get a heathen fired and give you the job. <gasps> he wouldn't do that. He sure would. You don't know him. The Bible says he gives nations for your ransom. He'll give up the whole nation for you. That's how valuable you are to him. Say, that's not fair. Nothing fair about favor, Christian. Nothing fair about favor. You're favored. So stop denying it and start accessing it. Somebody's going to get the job. God uses people, places, and things. Somebody's going to get the promotion. It may as well be you. Well, I don't want that poor woman to lose her job. <laughs> oh, well. There's a daughter who understands who she is. He doesn't have a problem with it because God will allow her to lose a job because she'll go into a calamity and she'll realize she has, no, she has no ability within herself and in an effort of that, she'll look up. God uses tragedy in people's lives to get them to look up. I get people going, I prayed, I had a woman one time, she goes, I'm praying for my husband. He's not a believer, he's doing all this stuff. I'm praying for my husband. And then she comes to me and she goes, I, I'm gonna stop praying for him. I'm like, why? Because she's like, he's getting worse. I go, that's because Jesus is working. If Jesus is working, it's going to get worse before it gets better. He's not going to receive Christ on a high. He's going to receive Jesus on a low. Tragedy, transition, those are two of the things that God works in our lives. It's through tragedy and through transition. That's the only time we're actually even considering that we, we, we need something beyond ourselves. Anybody here come to Christ when you were rolling? You didn't. Don't you lie. Jesus is here. <laughs> you came to Christ. In some point of confusion of your life where you were uncertain, you were searching, you were in a period of transition, or you were in a period of tragedy. Something terrible had happened to you. You were, in a, you were just hopeless. People go, well, we don't want to take advantage of people that are going through tragedy. That's exactly what the gospel tells us to do. Minister to the people that are hurting. Minister to the brokenhearted. What do you think that's talking about? The people that are in tragedy, the people that lost their jobs, they need Jesus. Dave's here. He's just talking to me about a friend of his. And I told him, I said, she needs to come to church. So I said, she doesn't need psychology. She needs to come to church. 
because through the community, she's going to develop relationships. And through the relationships, ministry will be enabled to happen in her life. If she's averse to ministry because she's like, kind of like this, then let her come in relationship. And that through the relationship, trust will be built and life will come. I have total confidence in the people of this church. Total confidence. Because I know you guys are loving. I know you're kind. I know you're gracious. I know you're welcoming of the stranger. It's one of the marks of a, of a lead church, of an elder church, of a life-giving church. One of the marks of a church that God holds in prominence is that they are given to hospitality. It's actually a command upon all leaders within the body of Christ, elders in particular. You must be given to hospitality. In other words, you're hospitable even when you don't want to be. <laughs> you don't want to be nice to that person, but you do it anyway. You're given to hospitality. <laughs> Getting shouted down from the back. To what do we owe the privilege of this great opportunity? Why does, why, what, what do we owe this privilege? Because say it with me. Jesus does it. Because he is rich in mercy. Say this. Jesus is mercy full. He has plenty of mercy for you. He's full of it. And because of the great love that he has with us. Why does Jesus do this? Because he loves us. He loves mankind. He wants to give man every opportunity that he can to allow mankind to be reconciled with him. Even when we are dead in our trespasses and sin, he makes us alive together, for it is by grace we're saved. Grace, say this with me, grace, grace. Is, spiritual power, is spiritual power moving in love. That's what grace is. That's the biblical definition of grace. Grace isn't, oh, I just need grace. I just need the grace of God to get me through. You know what you need? You need the grace of God according to the biblical definition, the spiritual power of God moving, moving in love. You have spiritual power that's given to you in an act of love. You have authority. Oh, I want to go off, but I'm not going to. I'm going to wind it up. I was up at uh, 2.30 last night. putting. Yeah, I know, right? Hello. Doing a teaching for India. We're discipling a bunch of pastors, and I'm doing a pastor's network for these guys in India, and I have to put this video together. And so it's, like, it's almost like I didn't even sleep. So if I'm fire hosing you here this morning, it's good news. <laughs> How do we get born again? Isn't this the question? We must be born again. How do we become born again? How do we? Do you know what's really easy? Jesus does it all, drops the stick on the floor, and says, take a step. That's all that's required. The only thing that's required of you, it's like the, I use the concept of an elevator. You get in an elevator, and you go to the penthouse, and how do you do? You get in there, and you just go, doot. And then you go to the top. And you go, well, that was easy. Yeah, but it cost somebody a lot of money to put that elevator in that building. <laughs> Just because it's easy doesn't mean it's not valuable. You can come to Christ simply by taking a step. That's all it requires, an open door of your heart and stepping into what he makes available to you. It's very easy. And people undervalue it, but they don't understand the price that was paid. The royal blood of a king, a God who came from his world into ours, suffered and died, gave everything he had, paid he could pay no higher price. The highest price you could ever pay is your life. You can't pay any higher than that. Jesus gave everything he had, including his blood. He didn't just give his life. He let the life come out of him. He let the blood come out of him. He died with the blood coming out of him. He gave his life away in order that you and I would have an opportunity to receive him. The Bible says this. If you say it with me, if I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the dead I will be saved that's right man is saved if they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth it's that simple for the heart one believes unto righteousness that's what God's looking at he's not looking at the external he's looking at the internal scripture says whoever believes in him will not be put to shame he said I don't think God would accept me well not according to the scripture whoever believes in him you're a whosoever. Your name's in the Bible. Whosoever. Whoever believes in the Lord, he's not going to put you to shame. He's not going to consider you less than. He's not going to allow you. He's not going to say, you, well, you're not really up to the task. You're not really up to the standard. The Bible says whoever believes in him. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. There's no distinction between slave and free. There's no distinction between male and female. Romans 9 says all are under sin. We all need to be born again. And God doesn't separate us. He doesn't parse us out. He, doesn't, he, he says, all must come to me. And if you come to me, I'm not going to cast you away. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
So I want to give you a great privilege this morning. We're going to pray together as a church. If you've never asked Christ into your heart, just today say it with me. Today is my day. That's right. We're going to pray together. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And all you have to do is open your heart and pray the prayer with us. And Jesus will do all the heavy lifting. The Holy Spirit will do exactly what he said he was going to do. He'll come into your heart. And so let's just close this service. We have two prayers, this one and in a prayer of blessing. But then let me just let's close with this one. I want you to say this with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you're Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a prayer team available. If you need prayer for anything, it's a command upon the church. It's a house of what? Anybody know? Prayer of all people. God commands prayer in his house. We have a prayer team. That's why we do it, because Jesus wants it. So if you need prayer for anything, we have a prayer team available for you. They will pray with you. They will bring the house on you. They will let the Spirit of God bless you, and they will definitely intercede for you. So that's available. But then you're going to have one more prayer. Now all you got to do is receive it. Just say, let me have it, Jesus. All right, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And forever may you live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. Prayer team, fire starters this afternoon.